Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, uh, so we'll turn out the lights. Um, oh, and we'll. This is just going to be a, a four-minute uh, four clip or so, uh, Catherine's Gift, which you can just, on YouTube, you could just write in Catherine's Gift, but we'll, we're going to, um, we'll have a link on the, uh, on the website uh, or on the Dharma Seed download. And uh, this will give you a sense of, of what um, Kay has been up to, and then we can have our, our conversation. So, please. Thank you. So, um, perhaps just a, a bit more background of, of your story with, with Catherine and um, uh, how... How you came to uh, well, this title is called uh, "Finding Freedom Through Grief." Mm-hmm. So maybe expand a little bit about um, the grief and and fill in any uh, uh, any pertinent information mm-hmm. of just what your journey with Catherine was leading up to this trip. Well, I know uh, as uh, um, James said, he spoke a little bit about it. Um, a few weeks ago, um, but just to say, uh, you know, my daughter died 18 years ago. She was my only child, and she was 18, and my whole world just fell apart. I was a, a corporate trainer, and uh, I thought my life was, you know, going well. I thought I had a, I was a great mother with a great daughter, and uh, uh, my uh, business was, uh, uh, you know, I was a successful trainer, and I thought I was in control of my life, and that all just. As we go along, you know, in doing our lives, and we, you know, I, I when I think about it now, I didn't think sort of, you know, death happened to people like me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, it seems so, you know, um, innocent now, but um, it was uh, totally shocking. She um, completed war, year 12 at the Waldorf School and went off, uh, took a gap year. I went off with a girlfriend to Melbourne. I was living in Australia. I'm Australian. And uh, she met a boy in uh, uh, Melbourne, and he introduced her to heroin, and um, six weeks later she died. And it was um, the the devastation, and I really didn't know how I would survive or even if I wanted to survive. And um, it's a long story how um, I kind of was... Uh, trying to find, I, I, it, just to find some sort of purpose or meaning, and I eventually settled on this idea. I was going to write a book. I wanted to capture my daughter's life, and I knew I had to leave Australia. I was just overwhelmed with all the memories. So it's a long story how I got to San Francisco. Somebody gave me a path with heart the book by Jack Cornfield, and um, I'd heard people go to San Francisco to reinvent themselves. So, you know, I thought, well, I, because I, I, I didn't know who I was. Um, I, 
being a mum of one child and I didn't know if I was a mum, then what, who was I? So I came to San Francisco, I, I enrolled in an MFA at the University of San Francisco and I went to Spirit Rock. And there I met, came across the Dharma and it made total sense. Uh, you know, the Buddha said there's suffering and there's a, a cause of suffering and there's a way out of suffering and here's the path. And I just, you know, followed that path. And it's a long story. That, as I said, it was 18 years ago. But it's an incredible freedom to have worked this. To have, to have been, it wasn't the path I chose at all. Mm. But it's opened up an incredible life for me. Mm. And uh, you, you talked about uh, befriending mm. your grief as mm. a, an important part of that process. Mm. Well, um, it is, you know, and grief has such a bad rap in our culture. You know, the w- words like sorrow, misery, um, I, I wrote some down from the uh, dictionary, you know, sadness, heartache, agony, torment. It's like, who wants that? Um, but um, as the Buddha said, as the first noble truth, it's inevitable. And um, the very fact we live in, we have a body, it's going to break down as we get older. It's going to have aches and illnesses or eventually wears out. Um, and if it's not physical you know, pain, it's going to be emotional. We all, we're all going to have losses. So it kind of it makes sense to me now from this position to learn how to work with um, uh, grief and to really befriend it. And I see it... Uh, I've actually... I'd like to read a poem called My Friend Grief. So my friend grief, what I like about grief is that she accepts me, whatever state I'm in, red-eyed, snotty-nosed, hair matted with sorrow. She doesn't mind if I ignore her, waits patiently to teach me how to be still, how to pay attention. Once she prepared a banquet, spread her best linen cloth threaded with rainbows, lit jasmine-scented candles and invited those I had lost, then pulled out a chair and whispered, Sit, my beloved, enjoy your guests. I looked around the table, saw my mother, father, sister, daughter, all smiling, and I wept. For I understood with the eyes of a child they had never left. So, befriending and grief. Is that who's, who wrote that? <laughs> I did. Okay, that was, so that was beautiful. Mm, thank you. you know, the Buddha talks about, um, when asked what he taught, he said, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. And uh, it's so often that suffering is what what wakes us up mm. Mm. to the Dharma. Yeah. And uh, mm. that happened for you. Um, you uh, when we were talking, we, uh, we met uh, uh, earlier in the week, um, or last week, and uh, Kay was sharing with me her whole process, and I was, it was quite moving just spending time with you. And uh, I remember you, you said at some point there was a, uh, a decision mm. point that uh, there was a choice point that mm. uh, set you off in a particular direction, and you know maybe you can share a bit because that's 
that's a choice we we are constantly offered different possibilities and to choose to choose something that sets us in the right direction uh makes all the difference mm. so maybe share mm. about your own process mm. a bit thank you um i do remember the a, a particular night where um as i said when my daughter died and it was it was just um i really didn't know how i was going to go on and um um i remember one night sitting on the couch and i was alone which was actually unusual because when she died i had an incredible community just a bit like we were talking with patricia um of people that came and supported me i had somebody come in in the morning every morning someone came in every afternoon someone came in every evening and just sat with me and they they did you know errands or cook me meals or whatever so um uh, but this particular night i remember it was late at night and i was sitting on the couch and I, it was dim in the in the l- lounge room and i just had a lamp on and i was staring out the glass doors on into the garden and uh, it was a dark very silent night and it was almost a full moon and it looked very magical out there i could see my daughter's old trampoline in the shadows on the lawn and the i had a, a white stone buddha sitting under an apricot tree it was laughing and then the the apricot tree you know it was winter so the bare arms of the apricot tree stretching up to the heavens and i i remember just that moment and i realized i had a choice here it was about probably 4 months after my daughter had died and i as i said i was really struggling and i i vividly remember how i had a choice and i actually um i wrote it down cuz many years ago i remember and i'm sure many of you have read victor frankl's man's search for meaning and i remember that one of the things he said everything can be taken away everything ex- from us except uh, the power to choose one's attitude and i remember that and i he also said in some ways suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning and that moment i had a choice i knew i could either be i had kind of this opened this path i could be a bitter old woman i felt very bitter i felt very angry there was this lot of why why my daughter why me and uh, why 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 which is one of the four imponderables that can send you nuts because there's no answer but i remember actually uh, focusing on keith richards and uh if any of you know the rolling stones i love the rolling stones i grew up with uh, the rolling stones but i kept thinking about him he's uh you know been a long time heroin addict and um uh he's still a chain smoker and he's 71 you know he's still living and um and my daughter died of heroin you know and she didn't use it very much so there's this you know why he why is he alive so <laughs> not that i at all wish i i think he's amazing but he's still kicking at 71 and and i have just read um in his uh, memoir that he actually lost a child um a 2 month old son tala uh, died of cot death and and keith wanted to commit suicide you know at the pain of that so um but i knew i you know i could be this bitter old woman that felt life had been unfair or the choice i had was 
to stay. My heart had just been split right open. And I knew that I could keep my heart open and work that and follow this path, whatever that meant, and work the grief, do the grief work. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea where it was going to take me. At that time, I, hadn't, I didn't know I'd end up in San Francisco or the Bay Area. But um, I, I obviously chose that path, and partly uh, I chose it because my daughter would have been so cross with me if I hadn't, if I hadn't honoured her memory. And so that was part of the, the choice. So just let's stay with this for, for a mm. moment. So there you were at that choice point, mm. okay, to be bitter mm. for the next... Forever. Forever. <laughs> 40, mm-hmm. 50 yep. more yeah. years yeah. or mm. find meaning in, mm. in it somehow. Mm. And you remember the moment. I do. I do, and it was, uh, it, it was a very sharp decision that I knew. I, ha- I didn't know that there was a decision, but it was a, a real turning uh, to the light or turning to whatever this had... It, it was a lot of surrendering, too. For some reason, this had blasted me open, and... There was a there's a richness in that too. There's a everything. Although I, in some ways, I felt very you know, and I know many of you have had grief in different ways, and so you know what I'm talking about. That there's this unreality. You're um, kind of very detached and very removed from day to day things, and and at the same time you're detached. You're also I, I know my. Every sense was vibrating and everything was very immediate. And there's such a richness. It's like living with fresh eyes every day. It's a, it's a very, uh, you know, you're kind of stripped of all the facades that we walk around with, partly because we need to in this culture. Um, but yes, I vividly remember that moment. And do you remember... Um, Having made that decision right after, mm. right after that moment, saying I'm going in this direction, mm. what did it? Any sense of uh, what it felt like inside? Well, I, I want to say firstly, it wasn't just a one once-off decision. You know, I made this decision over and over again, and there were many times when I kind of crawled under the covers of my bed, and you know, that's it. I'm, I'm going to be a bitter old woman, it's, and uh, you know, but I kept. Uh, making this decision again and again because I knew somewhere, as I said, one was my daughter um, and I feel her very strongly with me and I have a, a relationship still with, with her. And, um, but the other one, I don't know why I... Um, uh, what made me decide that because in some ways it's the harder path but it's the richer one and... Um, um, I, I think there was a release, you know, it's just, well, I can, I'm just going to, it wasn't like, well, now I know what I'm going to do, because I didn't. Mm-hmm. It was like, I know the direction I'm going in, but I didn't know what that would mean. Mm-hmm. But there was, a, there was an, an, an end to that inner struggle, I think. An end mm. to that inner struggle. Mm. 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 That's, that's mm. a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we're exploring it, I, I, I wanted Kay to come, not just to tell her story, mm. but for 
for it to be a kind of uh, invitation for us all to look at our own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I'm, as she said, I'm sure there's uh, everybody here has had their own measure of pain and sorrow and loss and suffering. Or if you haven't had a major one, you will. Uh, this is this <laughs> is what the Buddha said. Re- reflect on it every day. Not only is uh, are you subject to old age, sickness, and death, but everything near and dear to me, mm. I will be separated from. He says, think about this every day. Mm. Not not to bum yourself out, but to reflect. This is part of the deal. And how we do deal with it mm. means everything. Uh, and in this one uh, a teaching that I've mentioned a number of times, uh, one of my favorite teachings, where it, it starts out, suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. Can be. But it not necessarily, it ain't necessarily so. Suffering can also lead to bitterness, anger, despair, collapse. So right there, mm. we, have, we have a choice. And many people don't realize they have a choice. But somehow, uh, if you're fortunate enough to see the two roads and pick the one Suffering can lead to faith. And I've asked this here before, just before we go on. How many people have been motivated by their own suffering or sorrow to look for meaning and look for answers and uh, go deeper into the Dharma? So look around. This is, this is how it works. And so we've all made that choice at some point, and will continually, like you say, mm. have to be, mm. uh, be asked to make that choice. And you, when it's that intense, mm. where your whole life can go in one direction or another, um, what a gift that somehow mm. you move in the right direction. It, it is a gift, and I just wanted to say again that it's not a one-off choice. You, you keep making that decision. And I also wanted to say that, that I really see there's no hierarchy in, the, in the, the pain and heartache and loss. I lost a child and my only child. And I've had people say, well, you know, I've just lost my beloved pet. But that can, any of the losses that we have can be heartbreaking and devastating. And I think it's to honor that and to embrace it. And it, it's the gift for me, it, it enriches, the suffering enriches, in, it, it brings the bigger joy. It, you know, there's the two, the, the deeper the suffering, the richer the joy. And, and I, I personally really have experienced that, that my life is so bigger and richer for it. Not that I'm saying, you know, who wants the suffering, but, but it is, it's the deal. And to make it, to, to work with it and be friends with it. And the Dharma for me was learning to sit with those feelings. Mm-hmm. And, mm. yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm just remembering we, we mentioned uh, this, mm. this line by Gibran that, uh, uh, that I love. He says, uh, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. Mm. And how else could it be the, sal- the self same well from. Uh, from your laughter, uh, 
contained many tears. It carves into your being and opens you up to to the richness of of Mm -hmm. life. So, um, and you say that the Dharma, talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about how the Dharma helped Mm -hmm. and uh, how it's it's held you and Mm. uh, helped you go on your journey. And and how it's transformed the grief was that um, I learnt that you could sit with these feelings. Initially, they were so intense that I just kept turning away. And um, I did a lot of, in the first uh, year in Australia, a lot of walking, a lot of activity. It was just too hard to be with it. Um, But when I got here and and started to sit at um, Spirit Rock first, um, I could sit for only a, a brief amount of time because it felt... The feelings were so overwhelming. I thought I was, it was like falling into this bottomless abyss. Mm-hmm. But more and more, I did a lot of retreats um, f- the first few years and some long retreats where I got to, and in that safe environment, that you know, container, I got to sit there. And, and the things I learned is that that pain and that terrible um, gut-wrenching or uh, despair, depression, anxiety, all the the feelings. I, I had a lot of anger, a lot of uh, shame and guilt. I'll talk about that later. And uh, the, the grief and fear. What's going to happen to me? But I noticed as I got to sit with the feelings, they change. You know, that they, they don't stay the same. They do ebb and flow. And being able to work like that was very powerful. And there was, there was a real freedom. Again, and I use that word a lot because to be able to work with your mind... And to be able to manage or, you know, invite these feelings and sit with them in, in, in that, those storms, it's an incredible freedom to know that they pass. And, um, yeah. And um, before we go on, I, I, there's, that seems to be the uh, one powerful gift of Dharma to just somehow let you hold mm. all the pain and all the feelings and and you can't bypass that mm. um and I, I write about in in the book awakening joy in the chapter on um finding joy in difficult times about another friend uh my friend nancy who comes each year to to spirit rock in february and uh also i think it was about 18 years ago as well her 14-year-old daughter um, took her life. And she came to Spirit Rock just seeing if she could go on. Mm. Uh, and she, she sat uh, a month-long retreat. And it took her um, a few years, maybe about four or five years, to just process all the guilt and shame and anger and pain and all of that, um, just letting herself feel it all and, and be held and, and have, a, have a support that, that could be held. And then at some point she made a similar decision to you. How could this, how can I honor Julia, mm. who was going to be angry with her if she, <laughs> if she just spent the rest of her life like this? And she somehow... At, after processing it all, turned, turned her life around and has for the last, oh, 15 or so years, uh, 13 or 14 years, 
been a support for parents who've lost their children and is this bright light. Uh, she, is, she really is an embodiment of, of joy for me. And every year, every February, February 12th, she comes and we ring the bell 108 times and remember Julia and she cries and we talk about it. But it's not the defining um, mm. piece of her life. Her, now her life is about service and about learning to work, uh, to support others in working with their pain and, and sorrow. So you, you can't bypass that mm. experience, but to somehow transform it mm. into something meaningful, like you say, is, uh, becomes a gift to everybody else. Mm. I, I just to add, I in those early years sitting, I did a lot of weeping, lots of weeping, lots of uh, uh, shaking, um, which I think is part of dealing with the fear of. of the, I think the fear is to when you when you have someone very close to you who dies, you you right confronted with the randomness of our lives, the, and that it's we are all, we are all going to die. And we don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know, you know, the circumstances. And to really face that and sit with it's terrifying, I think. And um, so, you know, the, uh, a lot of that, and a lot of them practiced too. I was remembering Ajahn Sumado, uh, I did some work with him, and he would just go like this. He said, it's just like this. It's just like this. You know, and he'd do, it's just like this. I did a lot of that sitting. And it is, it's just like this. This is what it is right now. Mm-hmm. You, um, and you mentioned about guilt and shame and how mm. you know, those were very uh, important emotions to open up to and process. Mm. And if you could say a little bit more about, mm. about them and your relationship to them and how you have worked with them. Mm. Well, that was big. Be- besides the grief and the anger that my daughter had been taken away from me. There was an incredible amount of guilt and shame. I, I think I inherited shame from my dear old mum. She was um, born illegitimate and uh, raised in foster homes. So there was a lot of shame passed down. She, one of the phrases I heard a lot of is, what will people think? And so there was this, uh, you know, to, to look respectable was very important. And I, as a parent... Parents are supposed to protect their children, and my child had died, so I had an incredible amount of guilt that I'd failed her, and shame that she died of drugs, an overdose, and there's this, uh, you know, the, something must have been wrong with me as a parent, and um, I know parents, uh, you know, children who commit suicide, but since I've talked to many, many people, and what I've found is there's no one I've spoken to that's had someone, a close loved one, whether it's a parent, husband, wife, um, whoever, sibling, and they haven't felt some guilt. I, maybe I should have made that last phone call, or maybe I shouldn't have spoken so harshly. And I think, I was saying this to James, I think we cling to our guilt, uh, guilt because, I, as I said earlier, if, if we really face the fact that we're not in control, it, it, that is terrifying, whereas guilt means, well, I could have done something. I could have really, you know, saved this person. So the guilt and shame were incredible. I remember 
just what many, many incidences like this in uh, probably the first few months after Catherine died and I was in a supermarket just mindlessly pushing a trolley and I saw another parent at the end of the aisle and I was flooded with shame. I felt so exposed now, you know, that here's this person who had let her child die and I just left the groceries and fled the store. So the shame and guilt is another one that I've, um, you know, and that's informed my forgiveness practice, which is... Very strong. Mm. Say, the, say the, something about forgiveness, and I, I know we we, we, we talked about that. We did. Was... Uh, the forgiveness and gratitude. I, I, you know, I want to talk about them both. Uh, forgiveness is uh, it has been a real struggle for me. Um, uh, forgiving. I, as I said, I was so angry with so many people, with the uh, the boy that uh, gave my daughter the heroin, and po- the police said possibly. Uh, shot her up with the heroin. Um, I was angry with my daughter for being so stupid. I was angry with, uh, you know, the police officers. They were corrupt. This was in Melbourne, 1998, and since then there's been a whole thing about gangland gangland wars and uh, corrupt police officers and all sorts of things. So I was angry with anyone who sold heroin on the streets. Uh, It was endless, endless list. And, of course, I was angry most with myself. And um, one story I want to share is um, about the boy. He, uh, his name's Holly, or I call him Holly in my memoir. And um, I, after Catherine died, she died in Melbourne, as I said, and so many times I went to Melbourne and I wanted to... Uh, I spoke to the police officer and I spoke to... I went to the place where she died and I did a lot of um, uh, just trying to piece this together... And uh, about three months after she died, I went to the house. I flew to Melbourne. I went to the house where it was a squat house with other young people living there. And thank goodness he wasn't home. I was so angry. I don't know what I would have done, but it was a, it was a blessing he wasn't home. And I went again about eight months later, and I had rung him and said I, w- I wanted to meet him, and he agreed, and I got there, and he wasn't home again. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think Catherine was, you know, getting him out of the way. Uh, later on, he said he was too scared to meet me. So I finally, uh, a year later, I had done so much work. I, I spent uh, one long retreat at Barry, Massachusetts, the entire retreat I spent doing meta, which is for people, you know, just... Uh, loving, having your heart open. So I went as a very different person, a year of intensely working on my heart. And so I went with an open heart. I didn't know whether he'd be there again. And I had photographs of my daughter as a young child. I thought he might want to see them. And he was there. And he invited me in and uh, offered me tea. And I looked around and I said yes. And uh, I had no intention of drinking anything in that house. And he said he didn't have milk, and I said, it's fine. (laughs) And I just noticed my judgments, and I noticed Catherine noticing my judgments. And um, it was a very beautiful interaction. I spent many hours with him, and he told me things like, you know, my daughter was... uh, uh, she wasn't hooked in any way. She was on an adventure and that she ha- was trying to help him come off of uh, heroin and he, had been book- he was booked into rehab. And he at one stage broke down and cried and left the room. He said it was my fault. And so it was, it was an incredible um, interaction that 
couldn't have happened if I hadn't have done all that work. And um, I showed him the photographs and he sat next to me and it was very tender. And I, I really loved this man at the time. And I, at the end, uh, I said, I need to go. And I gave him my address and said, I'd love to see you when you get clean because he was going into rehab. And I've never heard from him. But as I left, he said, wait. And he pulled off from his neck he, a necklace and he dropped it in my hand. It was still warm uh, from his skin. And he said, Catherine, I bought this for you because I was going to visit her the week after. Um, and then she died before I got there. And uh, it, um, he said, I took it off her body and I've been wearing it ever since. And so I have that necklace and it's now sitting on my altar with Kuan Yin and a whole lot of other things. And I would never have had that or never known about that if I hadn't have done the work. And the, the, the necklace was um, uh, a chain with uh, the rainbow rings on it. And I see it as my daughter saying I had, um, for 12 years, raised her. Uh, I got into a relationship with a woman. And so for 12 years, um, uh, she was raised in a gay family, which in the 1990s in Australia isn't like Berkeley in the 2016. <laughs> So we had some struggles. She loved my partner, but it wasn't easy for her. And I see that as, uh, you know, that was another way of her saying, you know, it, it's okay. So all of that from the forgiveness. Has, and the forgiveness for myself, I, it's a daily thing almost that I daily have to make a decision because I, I noticed my mind. You know, I, I've, I've forgiven myself all sorts of ways, but I noticed that it can easy zip off to a place of beating myself up. And I think I told you, Sylvia Borstein at um, Spirit Rock, I love her practice of, she talks to herself, she says, oh, sweetheart, you, don't, you know, you, can, you don't have to do that to yourself. So I have this lovely, like, oh, sweetheart, it's okay. And, uh, so. Do you, uh, just before we go on, how, forg- how you opened up, to forgiveness, you had done, you said you'd done a lot of metta and a lot of work on yourself. But here was this yeah. guy. Mm. Mm. Any, anything you can unpack about when your heart just said, no. I forgive you? Yeah. Well, yes, because um, I didn't know how do you forgive? How, I was, uh, you know, I'll keep coming back to I was so angry. And I didn't know what to do with those strong feelings. And how do you forgive? And it wasn't something I'd learnt to do in my family. Um, it, it was um, all of these things I wish we taught in class, you know, in the school for children. But I, at some stage, I came across the Amish practice, and the Amish people they do something called decisional forgiveness, and so they forgive first. They make a decision to forgive, then they do all the work. And there's this beautiful story of this uh, young man who came into the Amish school and uh, killed a lot of children. And all the, fa- all the parents forgave that young man. And then they did the work for I don't know how long. And so it was, it was a decision. I knew that holding on to this bitterness, this anger, wasn't serving anybody. I knew that, but I didn't know how to let it go. So I, it was a decision, I'm going to forgive, whatever that meant. I didn't feel it, but I made a decision and sat with the tightness and I'll make a decision. And, and having the, 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 um, uh, you know, the, 
the beauty of a retreat, you just can do that mm-hmm. um, without any interruption. So again, it's not something, well, I'm going to forgive and that's it. It was a clear decision and then feel the tightness and the no, you know, why should I and all of that and then come back to, you know, I forgive you. Mm. Well, so. that's, that's, mm. th- th- there's a power in that, just mm. even if you're not ready, yeah. even to wish you could forgive. Yes is a good start. Yes. You know, and if you say, oh, I, you know, I wish I could, but I can't, and so I must be some, you know, bitter person, don't miss that wholesome wish. If I could forgive, I would. That's a start. There's yeah. something in you, and that sets it in motion, and then your, your body and your heart follow your mind. Uh, and I'm, I'm remembering, again, this line that I love from uh, uh, Desmond Tutu. He says, uh, forgiveness is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive so that my own anger and lust for revenge does not corrode my own being. Mm. So you're, you're the one that benefits, even though you... Oh, well, I'll try to be generous, but really, you're, mm. you're the one that benefits. Mm. But it, you can't... You can't hurry it up, but you can have the intention. Yeah, and it comes back to the title of the the freedom. It, there's such a freedom when you let it go, um, you know, eventually. But can I talk about gratitude? Because for me, it goes hand in hand. The gratitude is a big practice of mine, and it was even before my daughter died. Before I came to the Dharma, I used to run workshops, and I would get people to say, "Tell me one good thing about your day." You know, when they introduced themselves, and at the meal table with my daughter, I'd say, "Tell me three good things that happened today." So it was a practice that that I had, but. Um, in the um, uh, doing uh, the, the Dharma and looking at gratitude and being able to, in, in the midst of the, the loss of my daughter and the feeling so like I'd lost everything, I was still able to say I'm, I'm grateful for all the people that, ha- that helped me and held me and grateful for the, the kindness of strangers is incredible. The, the amount of people who didn't know me, who, who did kind things, mm-hmm. it's just and I never saw them again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the gratefulness for um, that I had 18 years with my daughter. It could have been three, could have been six. I had 18 years. And I was really able to, not all the time, but, you know, be able to be grateful for that, grateful that I have a strong, healthy body or grateful that I have the resources to travel the world and, and tap into all the sorts of things that I've been able to do to heal. Mm-hmm. And then there were days when I was so... There was nothing I could be great. I really didn't want to be grateful for anything. But I kept doing the practice and sometimes I could just be grateful because the sun was shining. Or I could be grateful, you probably know Thich Nhat Hanh's, um, grateful for the non-toothache. Right now, I don't have a toothache. I am so grateful. <laughs> and, you know, that, that worked. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we uh, open it up for some, some questions maybe. I... I Remember, you mentioned that um, that ritual was mm. was very um, powerful in the the healing process. Maybe say say something mm. about. Uh, well, just briefly, because I'm aware of the time, and it's hard to keep listening. Um, that uh, I think whenever you lose somebody or somebody dies, you want to do some kind of thing to make meaning out of it. Whether you know people do a little graveside memorial or. I was going to write a book. I did write a book um, about my daughter's life. Um, 
but uh, I have an altar and I sit, light a candle and, uh, you know, there's, there's a ritual there. Um, a, a lot of the ritual has been in service, doing um, different service, giving back has made a, a big difference. I have a ritual where I have, uh, in terms of my relationship with my daughter, that continues to be very real in a different way, obviously. But I think we do have a relationship with people that have died. Um, and, of course, just to end, the, the, the ritual of this whole year, this is the 18th anniversary of her death, and she lived 18 years. So I really wanted this to be an important year, and that's when I wrote a book, a children's book. And I didn't set out to do this. It, it opened up. Um, and uh, about uh, mindfulness, and I took that. I used that for a fundraiser, but I took it to the, um, the Nepal and uh, raised enough money. So now there's a school. There will be a school called Catherine's School, and it's in an area, a very very remote area, where the children didn't go to school. There was there's no schools there, and a few, if they're very lucky, can get sent to, you know, a long way away. But most don't. So they have very little future, and a lot of the girls particularly uh, are vulnerable to sex trafficking in that area, and, um, or in all of Nepal. So, you know, the, being able to put some things in place um, to make the, the, the death and, uh, mean something, mm. I think. Mm. Thank you. So... We have maybe about five minutes or so, and maybe before, if there's any questions, uh, we'll see. But just for a moment, I invite us all to go inside and um, feel the, the power of the Dharma to hold anything. And whether you've gone through a major loss or pain or deep, deep sorrow or it's still to come, just reflecting on the choice, the choice to use suffering and sorrow and grief to turn towards freedom, compassion, deeper understanding, as Catherine, as uh, uh, Kay said, there's a choice, there's a decision, and perhaps just now planting that seed for when it's your turn and know that the Dharma can hold you and the human heart can open to um, anything and transform it into compassion and wisdom. Okay, so um, we just have a couple of minutes. If there's any anything uh, that comes up that you feel needs to be said or or brought up or or asked, we can take a moment. Anything going on? <laughs> 
Um, I just want to thank you for sharing this. This is really important. Um, you touched two uh, important issues. The first one was um, the death of a child, which is major. Um, and, then, and then the second one is um, battling with addiction, which is unfortunately, there's so many people out there mm. that are battling with it. And there's a lot of parents for children and children of parents that bat battle with addiction. Um, I just wanted to um, see if you had any experience of her presence around you. And a lot of people that lose, you know, someone who's very close, sometimes they feel like they're always around them, and it's comforting. And I just wanted to know if you have had that, and how do you deal with it? Um, having, feeling her sense. Well, I, you know, I don't think... Um, when I die that she's going to be there. I don't think... I think there's this energy that we all have that... Um, uh, so I feel the energy, her spirit, her qualities that I feel, um, that I've sort of... Um, it's brought me to my higher self to act and be um, my best self. And they're the sorts of qualities that I uh, see that I've embodied, and I, I feel that, you know, on an energetic level, but mm, I don't know if that answers your question. Mm. Thank you. Um, yes, I, I thank you so much for, for being here and sharing this with us. It, it sounds like you had a practice when your daughter passed. I just wanted some more background on how long you've been practicing and um, and how that helped you at the time. No, I didn't. Um, I I'd read about Buddhism and I'd you know done a little bit of. Um, I'd been a very much a spiritual seeker. I did a. Um, a degree in comparative religion, and so I've been fascinated. I grew up an atheist, which is a it was a um, benefit, I think, because it kept my heart, you know, my curiosity open. And I've uh, travelled a lot and spent a lot of time in different countries. I, w I lived on a kibbutz, and I got very involved in, you know, it just just the different um, kinds of religions. I remember exploring divine light and um, Hare Krishna. I thought, oh, this is great when my daughter was little. You know, I love the community and bouncing around being a Hare Krishna momentarily. But no, I hadn't. Um, uh, so I was fairly lost too. I don't know how much if my practice had been stronger. I don't know if I still could have sat with those feelings. I don't know. But it was when I got here to... Um, I, I went to live in San Francisco um, a year and a half after my daughter died. No. Okay. Mm. We, we should we yeah. should stop. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. It's. Um, I hope also that you see that there's something healing in hearing somebody else's process, and it's something to consider when you're going through your hard times. That um, not only can you transform it inside, but it also becomes a, a gift to others. Uh, just by your presence for them, and also uh, your um, your story, if you share it. Oh, this person made it through. Maybe I can too. Mm. So thank you so thank much you. for your sharing. Mm. And uh, we can just close with a, a brief uh, loving kindness, and for a moment, opening up to.
all the suffering in this life and all the goodness and love and compassion that can hold it and meet it and transform it and both within ourselves and everyone we know and all beings may all beings find freedom through their suffering and sorrow and grief and realize the highest happiness and inner peace and may our coming together and sharing the dharma this evening um, be a benefit to all beings everywhere may all know true freedom Thank you so much. Have a good good week. Uh, see you in a couple of weeks. Be well. Be well. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.